Hello, I'm Laura, founder of Club Soda. We hope you're enjoying the shift to a weekly podcast. The others, I admit, were getting very long as we found so many great things to talk about and I'm really, really bad at editing out and, and cutting things that I think are really amazing. Now, we've got a topic this week that I'm really pleased that we've managed to find someone to cover. The question we get asked the most, but I have to say we always have the fewest answers to, is how do you talk to a parent or a loved one or a family member who is drinking too much? How do you even raise the topic? What do you do if they respond negatively? And what happens if they just don't listen when you're really, 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 really worried about them? So we have brought to you an expert, the amazing Jo Huey. She is a daughter of an alcoholic father. And through sharing her story, she discovered that this was a need that needed to be addressed. The ability to create advice to help people who want to support a friend or a loved one who they're worried about their drinking. And for those who have got an alcoholic parent, they need support too, a space to share and confide and to build their confidence and self-esteem. She has a great podcast and blog on johuey.co.uk, which I will spell for you, which is j-o-h-u-e-y.co.uk. So do take a look for more. But do listen as I talk to her about how to raise the subject of drinking and support a loved one through change. So Joe, how would how would somebody know if a close family member or relative or a friend even needed help with their drinking? How do you know when it's gone from being that nice sociable drink to something a bit more problematic? I think one of the things that I always say when I speak to people is it's always about the impact. Um, and so I think that family members, friends, colleagues, we can start to look at what is the impact that this person's drinking is having on their life and also the lives of those around them, uh, because it doesn't just affect them, it affects other people as well. They say up to about five or six people it touches. So I think that is is this affecting their health in some way? You know, is it affecting their sleep? Is it affecting their ability to, you know, communicate? Is it affecting their relationships? whether that's at work whether that's friends family is it changing their behavior in some way are they becoming less dependable are they starting to withdraw a bit more are they starting to act in a way that they wouldn't normally um, or that you're used to seeing and uh, some people can hide it very well so for family members and friends it it can be hard to sort of um, decipher Um, But I think if we pay attention and we start to, you know, think back to maybe previous times, how they used to be, and then reflect and see what the changes are. But it's always about the impact. So how is it impacting them at work and things like that? And how did you yourself come to even begin to think about this? Because I think giving people advice about family members is one of the questions we get asked the most. And I, I always get a bit stuck because I was the drinker. So how have you got to the point where you're, where you took an interest in this particular topic? Um, so my dad was the alcoholic in my life growing up. I, I lived with his drinking. Um, and then 
you know, I didn't sort of, <laughs> I, I didn't get too involved in terms of, you know, the work of alcohol misuse and anything until about four and a half years ago. Um, and when I, you know, had a conversation with a friend and she said, you know, you've got a story to tell, you should tell it. And, and I was very passionate at that time about alcohol misuse and recognizing the impact that it had had on my family and uh, so I started up my own business helping families that are struggling with their family members drinking um, and sort of more more uh, recently specializing in daughters of alcoholics so people like myself that have lived with a parent's drinking years ago but are actually starting to recognize that they've got some issues in their adult life now in terms of relationships low self-esteem PTSD all sorts of things like that Um, and and more recently for me my sister's uh, about four years into her recovery so um, it kind of just seemed to all flow at the right time and I was probably at a good place myself and I'm just very passionate about raising awareness about alcohol misuse and educating people about how it's the the perceptions that they have are not necessarily accurate Um, and so that's kind of why and sort of how I suppose I started doing doing what I'm doing and, and why I have the interest that I do. And do you think you know if you'd been better equipped I mean, it's very different when you're a child, but you talk about your sister. D- did you did you talk to your sister about her drinking? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I was a lot older when her drinking sort of happened, so I I was a lot more educated, I suppose, and a lot more self aware and able to speak about her drinking and to know what would and wouldn't work. Um, and so, and it's obviously since she's been in recovery, we have talked extensively about her drinking and the similarities between her and my dad's drinking. Um, uh, you know, and it's, it's been very insightful. And I think that we've both started doing training and things like that for social workers and other professionals. And, and it's not, it wasn't until then that we realized and recognized how our own growing up with our dad's drinking had affected affected us so differently but equally similar Um, and it wasn't until we started doing the training and sharing our stories that we actually started to realize oh she interpreted that in a completely different way to me and I interpreted something completely different to her and so that gate brought us a lot closer together Um, but her own drinking was a very difficult time for me because it brought up a lot of triggers um for me with my dad's drinking and and what I'd been through with him and do you think you know um do you drink very much is it like your sister picked up the family habit and you and you as a result stayed clear of alcohol or is it is it not that simple no it isn't and I think it's a it's a hard one because I've spoken to lots of people about this and and when I do talks and stuff they always say oh do you drink um, or they're a bit apprehensive to ask. Um, but I do drink and I've never had a problem with alcohol. Um, but that's not to say I haven't had my own addiction issues, um, whether that was with work, um, therapy, shopping. Um, so we all have our own addictions in different ways and different coping strategies. And, uh, you know, those were mine, but I've never actually had a problem with alcohol itself. 
So when your sister, so this is the the thing that you you talk about beginning to know when somebody's drinking is getting a bit out of control. Mm. And the things that you talk about are actually quite early signs. But when you go to speak to somebody, because I guess we've got this binary view in the UK that, you know, you're either okay or you are... (laughs) A rolling in the drunk, uh, uh, rolling in the gutter, alcoholic. Mm. How how can you begin to approach somebody when you're worried about their drinking without, in a compassionate way, but also without them feeling judged? It's so difficult. It really is. I know. Uh, you know, it's definitely one that a lot of family members struggle with. Um, I think, yeah, like you've said, it's 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 compassion. It's non-judgmental approach. It's, you know, I've noticed that, you know, maybe you aren't sleeping as well as you used to, or you're not, you know, doing the things that you used to do and that you used to enjoy, um, you know, and I've noticed this um, rather than you are doing this or you are behaving in a way that's not acceptable and I'm not going to put up with it. And, you know, that kind of approach, it's more I'm I'm worried about you and your health, or I've noticed that, you know, you seem to be getting distracted a lot more easily recently um that kind of thing and 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 also I think sometimes we can pre-frame it and say you know this isn't about judging you I'm trying to understand and I'd love for you to you know talk to me about this if, if and when you're ready to because not everyone's ready to talk about stuff and ultimately people can be very um defensive when it comes to they're drinking because a lot of people may well be in denial and not recognize themselves that it's an issue or at least that's what they say <laughs> yeah of course and uh, I mean if anyone had if anyone had talked to me when I first gave up uh, before I gave up drinking I'd been very defensive about mm. it and wanted them to butt out mm. but equally deep down I wanted somebody to care mm. so it is a very difficult situation and I guess a balance do people have to sort of maybe mention it but then not keep mentioning it and then hope yeah. that the person comes back to them or mm. how, how might you begin to talk about it over a period of time without sounding like you're nagging your mates yeah I think again it comes from a place of um inquiry curiosity you're 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 showing an interest you're you're saying to the person that you love and care about them and you'd like to understand what's going on for them you know and how can I best support you ask them they might not know the answer sometimes they don't you know and but if we say you know how can I help you um or you know every you can say okay I accept you might not want to talk about this but I just want you to know I am here and 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 if it's okay with you I'd like to check in with you every so often just to make sure you're all right you know and I I feel I wouldn't be doing my job as a sister brother mother if I didn't do that I think it's definitely that the way that you framed it is about taking the sting out of it Mm. and showing that there's a reason why you care yeah and that you've no you've noticed something there's a reason why you're asking and that's through love Mm. and that you you're explaining the logic behind what you do so that idea around I may check in again in the future um lets them know that this isn't just going to be a one-off no but also that you you will always be there so actually if they choose to raise it that Mm -hmm. that you will be more than willing to listen to them as well and I think it's also not just about the one-off approach in terms of how do you sort of say things but you know the the ongoing incidents that might happen and how you react to them 
Um, because if, you know, if they start behaving in a way that's unacceptable and you um, escalate that by retaliating, that sort of behavior is going to make them retreat and they'll never want to talk to you about it. Um, so it's it's the ongoing behaviors that we have to be mindful of, because if, if we're starting to be very judgmental about things or getting annoyed and, and all the rest of it, that's not to say we have to put up with you know, their behaviours if it's unacceptable, but that's when we bring things like boundaries in place and we do it in the right way. So um, I'll come back to that, which is, um, you know, um, not having to accept the bad behaviour. But carry on with that conversation about um, that patience that you have to show when you raise the issue and understand Mm. that you can't control the other person. All you can do is offer them what you have available, which is listening and support yeah. And it's so tempting. And I see it quite often from those of us who have changed our drinking that we want to save someone else the pain that we've been through. Do, yeah. And it's so tempting to just want to dive in with solutions. It's very much me, actually, dive in with all sorts of mm-hmm. solutions. But actually, you need to just be patient and kind, say a few things, but also be prepared to back off. For sure. And I think um, some of that for me, if not a lot of it, is about our own um, state. You know, we have to manage our own state. Um, and if we're not able to manage what's going on for us, it's going to come out in our communication with them. Um, so if we have a, an, an innate need to fix things or we're, we're feeling very frustrated or angry, we need to come at the conversation at another time in another place when we're not coming from that space because it will only cause more problems and they'll be able to tell. Um, and and I, I am a great believer in asking, you know, like I say, sometimes they may not know, but we need to ask people what they want um, as well as being present and showing up for them when they don't ask for it because they may well say, actually, I just want you to listen, or I, I, I don't know at the moment, but actually just having you here is enough, or do you know what I mean? Sometimes that's all, all that's needed, but we do need to have that compassion. But for family members, it is the hardest thing uh, to find compassion when they're having to deal with consequences of behaviour. And I think that's what I'd like to go on to, because of course, you know, the, the con- consequences of behaviour can cause immense stress in the person who's on the receiving end of that Mm. Um, and therefore trying to deal compassionately with someone who's completely being an idiot to you Mm. um, potentially violent but also angry or not just Mm. not showing up or unreliable is really difficult what do you do what do you do when their behavior has got to a point when it's really you know affecting you hugely I mean there's only so much patience you can show surely Mm. yeah I mean when you're living in the same household um, that's very different to if you're living separately. Um, you've got some space um, between you, but when you're living in the same household as a as a drinker, it's intense, it's overwhelming, but also it varies person to person. There's no one answer, I'm afraid, that, you know, because everyone's situation is so different. You know, some people have got disabilities, some people, there's lots of complexities, children could be involved, all sorts of things going on. Um, and, but ultimately, I would say, 
with anybody's behavior, whether it's alcohol, drug related or, or just generally, you know, we have a choice. We do not have to put up with bad behavior. Um, and so we are well within our rights and it's, you know, our business and our responsibility to put boundaries in place and to say t- and to demonstrate and to communicate to people what is and what is not acceptable to us. And we have to respect other people's boundaries equally. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, family members will usually say, but I just need to know that I've done everything possible to help this person because they can't get any peace in, in their, but they can't have a peace of mind until in their head they think they've done everything possible to help. Um, and unfortunately, um, that that could take years for them to get to that point which is is a really sad place because um we need to make sure we look after ourselves and things like boundaries are are the the first step really we have to make sure we keep ourselves physically safe we have to make sure we keep ourselves sane and and boundaries will help us do that Uh, how would you go about setting boundaries well first of all people need to know what is and what isn't important to them um, unless you know that it's going to be quite difficult to set boundaries um, some family members again depends if it's the children of um, they may not have the capacity to even figure that out um, so even if they're adult children I mean they still have got no idea how to do it so definitely we need to think about what's important what is it that and sometimes in order to think about what's important we can think about what scares us what angers us uh, what frustrates us what upsets us those can be really good ways to sort of help us think about right well what is important to me then so if you feel anxious when they come home or if you feel anxious that they're going to ring you in the middle of the night then you can make a boundary and you can decide that I'm not going to answer the phone after a certain time at night so you can think of the things that annoy you upset you anger you and things and then flip it and think okay I need to put some things in place that are going to help protect me in that situation I guess is it also worth you know um, often we talk to people about the behavior but not what's caused it so it might be worth Mm. saying I, I feel anxious when you come home in the evening um, because you're often quite angry. And I think that's caused by how much you're also drinking. So, um, so you can be angry about, you know, spending lots of money, but rather than stopping there, actually explaining. And I think the reason why you spend more money than you plan is because of the amount you drink and help feed it back all the way through to the, the root of that problem. Does that help? Um, part of me is I don't, <laughs> sort of a bit clenching with that one. Um, That's okay. Only, only, because, only because, again, it depends on their state of mind when we have these conversations, of course. So we don't want to have these conversations when they have been drinking um, because they're not going to take anything in at all um, and it's not the right time. Um, we need to do this when things are a little bit calmer. Um, Definitely when people um, are calmer. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yes, I, I guess I, we don't want to not talk about the connection with the drink because that that brings about its own problems then. So you're right in that we need to, you know, t- t- say that maybe this is connected or, you you know, I've noticed your alcohol consumption's going up. 
um, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we can make that connection. Um, but we just have to tread very carefully, as I say, because they can be very defensive. So, and again, everybody knows their own family member or whatever the best. So they are the best judges, of, you know, of how that person may or may not react and also how long it's gone on for. And is it the first time you've talked about it? Because if you keep repeating the same things, it's never going to go down well. Yeah. I mean, I, I constantly think about the things that I could have said to my dad and mm. all of those things. But, you know sometimes there just isn't the right words or there isn't the right or you don't think they're in the right frame of mind to hear either and I think that the thing is if we're honest with ourselves we all know when we're probably doing something wrong or we're doing something that's not healthy for us or we're doing something that might be hurting other people generally deep down if we were to be honest with ourselves we know um and so that's why it can be harder when people point it out to us and, and especially if they keep going on and on about it um that can be hard can't it because yeah. we all know like you know if we need to lose weight we know we need to lose weight we don't want people to keep telling us yeah, no, <laughs> you need to lose weight or hiding the cake yeah um, <laughs> um uh do, 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 how would we know if alcohol or those alcohol use of our family member is affecting children well <laughs> Well, it, if there are if there are children present when someone is drinking heavily, I don't just mean having a glass of wine after work. Or it, it, again, that's dependent on the person as well, and if they've eaten and, and how they behave. But ultimately, it will always impact children. You know, children will pick up things that parents sometimes do not give them credit for and I've heard it so many times it's like oh I protected the child oh we know we don't sh you know they never see him drinking and but they can sense something's not right um they aren't stupid I mean I was very young and I could I knew that my dad something wasn't right and that he was drinking and his behavior wasn't right so we've always got to be very mindful of the impact and I'm very um passionate about this I suppose you could say because I've been there myself and this was one of the biggest things for me that I struggled with was the fact that I felt so powerless and a lot of daughters of alcoholics I work with say the same thing because as a child you've got no control you can't do anything you can't get yourself out of that situation um, and I know sometimes parents can think that they're protecting them but often they are it, it doesn't it doesn't work like that um but it does depend on if it's you know a, someone that's drinking and their partner um is you know very protective of the children that that's a different situation again um it really depends on the dynamics in the family home i guess yeah it's um I mean, they would love, it'd be lovely if there was a magic wand where there were some words we could use and it would all work perfectly. But we're dealing with people and our relationship with those people and knowing those people, it, it can all be very difficult. Yeah. I know quite a few people who are frightened that if they, they raise the issue mm. with anyone else outside the family, that social services will get involved if they've got yeah. children. Do you, what would you advise people in order to be able to get some additional help in? Like, I know people who would avoid the doctor, even talking to their doctor because they're frightened about that. Um, well, 
generally, if people go to a GP, the GPs will refer you on to a drug and alcohol service um, or refer the person onto the drug and alcohol service. Um, GPs generally don't get too involved with the drug and alcohol side of things because it's not their specialist area. Um, And in terms of families, sadly, at the moment, it's still not where it needs to be. Um, GPs probably on the whole don't offer particularly great support for family members um, sad as it is Um, so there's other organizations that can do that the um, I think that um, most of the drug and alcohol services do have family support uh, facilities but again it's not their main focus so they do sort of not tend to prioritize them in terms of social workers um i do training with trainee social workers and and qualified ones and and unfortunately there is the uh perception that you know social workers want to take your children away and that's why we see a lot less women going into the services because of that concern um and unfortunately that isn't their priority they want to keep the child with the family they want don't want to have to take them away Um, but ultimately hopefully we all want the same thing that the children are safe and well Um, and that may mean that the children have to be taken from the home but that would be a last resort in my opinion Uh, if there's there's family members that are there you know grandparents whatever that can help and you know my mum did that we had social services involved and my mum went and stayed at my sister's house so that someone was there and they were quite happy with that Um, again every situation's different but ultimately if someone's drinking is to the point where children are at risk that's that exactly the thing that should happen (laughs) yeah so it's always about the well-being of the children and the safeguarding of the children and I understand that people are worried but it's never going to be the first port of call you know not talking about it doesn't solve anything because ultimately what can happen is it will get to the point where they'll be involved whether you want them to be or not yeah and I Um, think that there's definitely if you need some help if if the like you talk about if the situation's got to such a degree that you feel unsafe in your own home or you feel unsafe with your children in the home then beginning to talk to the professionals who can help might give you some temporary reprieve and support that allows it all to stay together whereas letting it get worse progressively worse yeah you know um, that's right that's they're there to help support you you know that's the idea to help support you through it to help to keep the family together um because you know they don't want to have to to take the family away they know that they're better with their you know in most cases you know but obviously if the children are at risk then they will remove them from the home but it's not the first port of call you know um at all so i think it's it is important to Again, you know, you can't make someone not not be afraid to do something. But I, you know, I want to reassure people that it certainly isn't the first port of call, and that people um, that the social services are yeah. there to support you. And and the, go to the drug and alcohol service locally first, yeah, and you may find exactly. you get a lot more support. Just to have someone yeah. to support you yeah. while you raise the issue with your partner is helpful on its own. Yeah. yeah. What about um, what about somebody who just doesn't want to be helped? this is the big one isn't it um yeah i mean there are so many people family members that obviously want to help a loved one of course they do 
it's a natural thing to want to stop someone that you love being in pain, being hurt, particularly difficult for uh, parents. So if their child is the drinker, um, I can't even begin to imagine how hard that must be for them because, you know, naturally they are, you know, we we all know that parents are there to look after you, do everything they can to safeguard you, to protect you, to help you. That's their role. But unfortunately, in this situation, when it comes to alcohol, that does not apply. And it must be so difficult to to stop thinking in that way, uh, you know, and apply and apply a different set of my uh, a different mindset to this whole alcohol thing, because um you can't make somebody stop drinking if they don't want to stop. Um, and even if they are doing something to hurt themselves, then unless you're going to watch them 24 hours a day, um, it's impossible. Um, and none of us want to accept that and to think that that's the answer. Um, of course, there's things we can do. We can be there to support them. We can be there to encourage them. We can remind them of all the good things they used to do and love and enjoy. Um, but ultimately, if someone's determined, they will they will do what they want, irrelevant of what anybody else says or thinks. And that is really hard for people to accept. And it comes back to what you said at the beginning, which was, you know, remind them that whenever they're ready, you're there for them. Exactly. And that you know that it isn't easy yeah. uh, and not doing it too often that you you sound like you're hectoring them. Yeah. And I think if we do that enough, you know, if we're if we can you know, show that support, care, love, compassion, empathy, um, they're more likely to come around to our way of thinking than if they're being sort of judged and pushed into corner and, 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 you know, made to feel like they're the black sheep of the family and that, you know, they can't talk to anyone. Uh, that's never going to encourage them. But equally, it's a hard thing to expect of families to do when they're having to deal with consequences of the drinker's actions. When somebody goes, okay, right, I'm ready to do something about this. I need your help. What do you think are the things that you can do most to help at that those early stages of that person changing their drinking? Um, obviously, yeah, it depends on the level of drinking. Um, we can support them in all sorts of ways, whether that is, um, you know, minimising the amount of alcohol that we keep in the house anyway, um, whether it's... Uh, saying that you will go to the GP with them if that's what they'd like, whether you go to a drug and alcohol service with them, again, if that's what they'd like. There's AA meetings, again, if that's something that they want to entertain, then you can say you'll support them and you'll go along to a meeting with them. Um, generally, in terms of the actual uh, redu reducing because you know we never want family members to stop drinking we we need them to start reducing um otherwise it obviously depending on their level of drinking that can be hugely dangerous yeah so if they're a dependent drinker if they need to dependent. taper first yes yeah. yeah for sure um otherwise they can go into withdrawals and and have fits and, and lots of family members have have thought that that's the right thing to do so throwing alcohol away, all of that kind of stuff, um, stopping them from drinking, things like that is not helpful. Um, because if they do want to drink, they're, they're always going to find it. Um, so yeah, in terms of the, supporting them, then we just need to, again, be reassuring to them, you know, encouraging them. It's not, always about the physical things but also the emotional support as well that they need because ultimately a lot of people that 
either a depend, particularly dependent drinkers um, have had some trauma and low self-esteem, all of that kind of stuff. So they do need that support as you know, I'd say more than anything. Um, but in terms of the practical things, then going to any of the meetings and visiting your GP, um, reducing alcohol that you have in the but house. But also, you know, helping them find social occasions for you all to do that don't involve around yeah. drinking. Yeah. Um, you know, and particularly at those times where the person may be feeling triggered or craving for a drink, you know, if they were drinking always at six o'clock every day, mm. helping them find the alternative activities you, uh, that you can do. And also keep you, busy. You, yeah, and you talked earlier about reminding people about the things they enjoyed and the yeah. good things in life. Mm. Helping them build that sort of toolkit to get them through is also really helpful. Yeah. And I I always remember friends asking, you know, what is it they they could do to support me? And yeah. you know, for them it was about um, accepting that the way that we socialised would change slightly mm. um, to accommodate the fact that I didn't really want to be in boozy environments in the early days. And they totally went with that. And that's probably one of the most supportive things you could do. Yeah. And that patience as well, because I know a lot of the time when they, you know, are sort of reducing and stuff, they don't want to have to then come up against questions and people saying, oh, you know, you're not, you're not being fun, you're not joining in and all of that kind of stuff, which can be really hard as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the, the other question that comes up an awful lot, Joe, which I'm not really expecting you to have the cast iron answer to, but <laughs> is about whether our alcohol use is genetic. Uh, um, there, I read Gabor uh, Mate is an amazing man. He um, has, is an expert in addiction and um, he talks about this. Um, and my understanding from what I read um, and probably my own belief is that I don't believe it's hereditary. Um, He talks about three things that have to be present. The addictive substance um, being one of them, the stressor and um, environment. Us, 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 as in a susceptible organism, I think his words are. Um, And like, for example, my sister is not my dad's daughter. So, you know, in that situation, she wasn't, no, it wasn't hereditary, um, but she still had that addictive nature. You know, if it's not alcohol, it's something else. Um, and and I, I do think the environment, you know, where you're living, all of that has a, an influence for sure. But in my personal opinion, I don't believe it's hereditary. No, and I think we, we often confuse things as being hereditary when really they are learnt behaviours. Yeah. So in our family... Um, the response to any emotional stimulus really was alcohol. Mm. Um, so I learned very early that that was the answer to everything, including yeah. being more social. Mm. And then on top of that, it, you know, other things made that, um, encourage that. And the time when I drank the most was when I was in the most stress in a job that I really wasn't mm. enjoying. So mm. it's, um, yes, I don't think it's hereditary, but it's certainly a, le- a generationally learned behavior in oh, our family. Sure. So yeah, yeah. And, I mean, for me, that would be cake. Yes, my mum loved cake, sweet things, and you know, celebrations, commiserations, cake. Yeah, but <laughs> it's also, I mean, often we want it to be hereditary because we want there to be an answer that isn't yeah. um, within our control. Mm. And actually, you know, changing habits and changing our drinking is within our control, and we can try and um, 
I guess, excuse the embarrassment that our drinking has caused us by talking about it being hereditary. But mm. actually, we can do that by it being a learnt behaviour yeah. and actually a socially acceptable, you know, culturally learnt behaviour as well. We, we learn, it's not just from our families, we learn from the whole of society that alcohol is, um, should be part of everything, including sadness and happiness. Yeah. And so it's no surprise that it's, it's got the place that it has and there are so many issues with alcohol. Yeah, no, I agree, 100%. So how do you help people who want to help their family? Because that's a very, helping someone to help someone else is a, feels quite tangential, but certainly people need support to try and support others. Yeah, um, I mean, my sister and I do a podcast which we uh, broadcast to educate families because funnily enough, families that are dealing with somebody's drinking don't necessarily um, understand about alcohol misuse you know why would they um that they just live with the sort of consequences of it so we we do the podcast just really to raise awareness and educate people a little bit more about it from experts that we talk to um and also you know i provide one-to-one support for people um i uh, pre-lockdown i started doing a self-development group which has obviously been put on hold um so it's just and and over the telephone you know some people don't want to meet face to face or do anything like that so it's really just about giving them some tools and having conversations with them focusing to be honest with you on them because all they will do is focus on the drinker and my my uh, focus is to bring them back to themselves and to help them to you know keep themselves safe and sane and to do the things that are going to help and support them and the things that are within their control um, and that are their responsibility rather than trying to sort of always focus on the drinker. Yeah, and you've got a course, is that right? Yeah, so um, I created a repair and reconnect course, which is for six weeks. And it's for people that are looking to, I guess, develop themselves, um, recover from having, you know, living, been living with and being affected by somebody's drinking, um, focusing on a particular challenge that they may have, whether that's relationship issues, low self-esteem. And it's a very generic course and a complete applied to any challenge that you might have. And it uses my peace framework, which, um, we do one of the sections each week. Um, and it helps you to start digging deeper into your challenges and then moving through that to get to the other side so that you can feel more peace cool and joe where can people find all that information in your podcast and everything so all of my information is on my website which is joehuey.co.uk and there's links there to my podcast to my course and other resources Um, there's uh, brochures and things that help support families as well Thanks there to Jo. I am so grateful that she's chosen to make this her mission and really fill a gap in support for those who are affected by their parents' drinking. For those interested, our Christmas support course starts next week on the 27th of November. We will help you get through this festive season, whether that's as a moderate drinker or if you're continuing to be alcohol-free. I can tell you it's a bit like um, having a superpower if you've got through Christmas to plan. You will find all the details on joinclubsoda.co.uk. Catch up with you all next week on the Club Soda podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Club Soda. You can find out more about what we do on joinclubsoda.com and on our social handles at joinclubsoda. Thanks for the donation of music by Lotus L. You can find more of their music on Spotify.